Hello, everybody, and welcome to Music Is Everything podcast with me, Matt Hornby, and my very good friend, Andrew Groves. Hello. Brought to you today by our wonderful Patreons and our affiliates. Check out both in the description box below. Oh, lovely. There you go. Um, today, in our inspired turn to talk about artists who we love and who are great, or sometimes who we don't know at all, mm. um, but nevertheless great, today we're talking about the Mars Volta. Yeah. Who, you may ask, who are they, Andrew? Yeah, you know what, actually? I know our ilk and our the the cut of our jip and the cloth that we're cut um you know i feel like this band was like was it for for so many of us but in the later days of our latest days of our lives i actually found a surprising number of people who didn't know um or who were unaware um some you know younger but also some of a similar age or older um where the mars falter happened to kind of pass them by and there is a cult like uh, or a cult status i think to the mars falter um to give some history, they were kind of the the birth child um, of the kind of marriage, really, I suppose, between Omar Rodriguez Lopez and Cedric Bixler Zavala, I believe, um, mm -hmm. uh, who were um, the kind of maybe the driving pieces of At The Drive-In um, and kind of from the kind of uh, disillusion of At The Drive-In started the Mars Volta. Um I think mainly or well, seemingly as a kind of outlet of expression and trying to, and that they were clearly having ideas by the kind of, you know, later days of at the drive-in that they, you know, wanted to express and kind of, you know, certainly they're kind of certainly uh, more proggish, uh, more uh, maybe even technical um, and, and kind of just grandiose really, I suppose as well. Um, uh, kind of leanings within the Mars Volta and a, and a lot more experimentation and a lot more improvisation that was kind of already starting to happen within at the drive-in but it was kind of clear that they, you know for whatever the, the rift was going on there that they they wanted to kind of take that elsewhere and, and kind of start something new and again being part of such a big band comes with expectation and, and kind of um, you know label pressure and what have you so was kind of this seemingly just an outlet um but the kind of hype and 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 kind of immediate fan base was was there pretty quickly um and i don't know how many records they've done now it's a it's a fair it's whack a good now. chunk i want to guess 10 as a uh actually i can count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine. There you go. So yeah, nine albums laid. They obviously um, very recently came back to the forefront. They kind of uh, reunited and settled um, some of their differences um, and came back with a, a new album and an, I think an acoustic album. Uh, uh, or acoustic yeah, version. That. I've never, yeah, that's like brand, brand new. Mm, mm, mm. Which is an acoustic reworking of the prog, me prog metal. Don't really agree with that. No. Of the prog metal band's 22, oh, 2022 self-titled album. Yeah. Oh, so it's an acoustic version of their newest one. Yeah. So they, they've, uh, again, like uh, had in a somewhat of a kind of Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails like format being that Cedric and Omar are kind of the, the beating heart. And they've had a kind of roving cast of individuals come in. Some, you know, uh, longer than others, um, but different musicians come in and kind of bring sort of new blood and, and new talent, um, including with this uh, new record as well. Um, and yeah, they uh, kind of toured the world. Uh, yeah, I think they at one point they were maybe like seven, eight, nine of them. I think at, at one stage it was kind of they did the wow. big band thing, and then sometimes they've done it as a, a you know very small kind of like four piece. Um, 
Not, not a big different... band as in like brass. <laughs> no, no, yes. Yeah. But I mean, you know, there was saxophone and flute yeah. and two guitar players and, you know, all kinds of things. Um, kind of some ties within the Red Hot Chili Peppers and a big tie to kind of John Frusciante and Flea, who were very much a part of it. Um, uh, kind of certainly on the recording side and often they would play together. So it was kind of incredibly natural that this would be brought to sort of our attention, I'm assuming, but certainly brought Definitely. to my attention for sure. It also feels like they're, they're a band who, yeah, like you say, cult status, but very in, inspirational to other musicians. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Often really big, commercially massive uh, musicians. Um, but yeah. I remember hearing them mm -hmm. for the first time. And it was about, in fact, my friend Rich, hi Rich, if you're listening, um, he, we went to our local town before <laughs> school one morning and this was the thing to do if an album had come out, we'd like bomb, bomb there really early as the shop opened and then bomb school. This is after we were driving. Mm -hmm. But um, so Francis the Mute had just come out and... He was like, oh, you got to get this. I'm, I'm, I'm here to get it specifically. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. Mm -mm. What, what is a Francis of the mute? <laughs> and um, yeah, I just remember loving the cover mm -hmm. of which there is no information apart from a picture mm -hmm. and uh, just trusted his word and bought it. And yeah, he listened to, he obviously listened to it in the car on the way back. And uh, I didn't, I honestly, I don't think to, to this day I've heard stuff that's like it, but that's only because it's inspired by it. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing I've heard before that's kind of had that same effect, like the same feeling. It's it's like otherworldly, um, very like rich, rich in like in texture and scope and imagery and feeling. Um but not, it's, it's kind of like if you met an alien, you go, you're not from here. You know, that, <laughs> sure. it, it sounds obvious, but yeah, it's like, you know, they're not what you know already. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they, they fit, they fit into their own part of your music taste. They almost like create a wedge in your taste and go, we're now here. Mm -hmm. Do you know, there was nothing there before, but now we're here. I don't and, think uh, there's been anyone ever since either. I think for their, their, I think, you know, I think I've, you know, mentioned it a few times is that, you know, very quickly they were here tonight. You are going to see some of the world's best musicians playing, you know, playing their asses off. And that's the, it's like almost like snarky puppy to to some degree it, 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 in a very different vein, but this is what you're going to witness tonight, and you have zero control over it, and you don't know. It was for me. It was always the danger that they brought to the music. You had no idea what was going to happen. You had no idea. They were, you know, famously fiery. Um, some, you know, uh, uh. You know, you would hope that they would be having, and it was always like, you know, similar thing with Trent Reznor, I suppose. You would hope they're having a good time. And if they are having a good time, it's going to be incredible. If they're having a bad time, it's also going to be quite incredible, but not maybe not how you expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. are they going to play 10 songs? Are they going to play one song for an hour and 40 minutes? Like, it's kind of what, there was such a kind it's of... Like luck of the draw. Yeah, like a, like a, like a danger to it, but whatever it was going to be was always going to be incredible. And, you know, again, some, you know, some of the most incredible musicians playing, you know, some of the most intricate and, uh, you know, challenging, but also incredibly beautiful and um, climactic, you know, music that, you know, I've ever heard. I distinctly remember hearing um, Amputecture. Mm -hmm. and, and to this day, I, I listen to some of those songs and the way they're constructed. I'm like, I, I, I have no, I have no scope on this. I, I don't feel like I could make it. 
I don't know. I, even if I really spent my time, I just don't think I would write that ever. Whereas some songs you can hear and you can play, okay, that's this chord to this chord. There's just so much going on in the, and, and in the in the construction and the parts and the kind of vision that just, or like you say, otherworldly almost, or, or 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 this idea of being the very forefront, you know, beyond you kind of thing. And and I still feel that way listening to those records today. That you know, I can oh, see definitely. how they're constructed, but I just I'm, I'm humbled to the idea that I will never make something to that level of construction and the mm-hmm. vision and and just purely the 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 bandwidth to be able to take on a, a, and direct a and is direct a project like that um mm. so yeah just it's worth, a spectacle it's yeah it's worth saying as well like i there i think culturally as well they sit in a, a quite a specific place they're from el, el paso texas mm-hmm. which is right on the mexican border um omar is puerto rican mm-hmm. and um cedric has mexican parents mm-hmm. and that kind of I think that kind of South American feel, like lots of lyrics in Spanish, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, is part of that. I'm probably the least Spanish person on planet Earth. What? Um, <laughs> you heard it at first. Um, but I don't know, like, so there's something, it's almost like, to use a really like poor choice of words, but doing it anyway. Uh, but it's a bit exotic. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and the influences it's, are there. And same with the band members, you know, I think there's definitely, rhythm is definitely a driving force. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, South America being kind of somewhat synonymous with rhythm and, and kind of, and also, you know, um, and, you know, and I'm sure people from that area cringe at the idea, but even from the base level of that kind of salsa influence and and mm-hmm. there are many other types of, uh, groove and 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 kind of uh, uh, dance and an accent and tradition that it, it, it just that is a whitewashed term. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. There is so much of of a kind of a rich culture that they seem to kind of explore only more and more. I think with their most recent album is probably maybe the closest to that um, uh, to that culture um, and that influence. And so I think yeah, being being very rhythmic, rhythmical and, and groove driven. Um, definitely that, you know, those kinds of um, very kind of 70s prog, you know, is is always kind of hiding under the surface, but then, you know, with a kind of very modern outlook. Um, but at the same time, you know, they very much follow their nose. Every album is very different. Usually, again, famously very selfish and so they should be in, in what they want to do and and what their interests are and this is the record we're going to make and this is the live show you're going to get and that's where we're at and this is the band we are so we're moving forward whether you like it or not and and kind of famously kind of um con- fairly combatant with with critics in that sense of just like well if you want to listen to that record go and listen to it um mm-hmm. you know certainly their first other than their first ep the first record very much being kind of hailed as kind of maybe the most mixed bag of of pop and this kind of prog and jazz and samba and everything else kind of within and very experimental but very much a kind of package and very much um you know still within a song format and then kind of from that point they just seem to kind of implode and explode in various directions yeah. Francis the Mute maybe being the kind of longest play um, uh, being that there's you know essentially one song split over about four or five songs at the end um, and kind of maybe the the longest in its experimentation the next album Amputecture incredibly complicated large band kind of just journey again those songs are, are incredible to me in, in their construction but real maybe probably their peak as far as musical muscle in that sense mm-hmm. um and actually then from there they they did mellow to some degree and kind of return back to a kind of a more popular song format and and now with their most recent record i would say is probably their most straight ahead sort of popular record um 
so there's lots to sort of lots to eat. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so it's almost like even I'm like I'm quite familiar, but I find their discography a bit intimidating sometimes sure. because I mean when it when you've got like quite a lot of 17 minute songs that mm. kind of and some some of them some of the textures and the sounds are like abrasive and like the weird babies crying and all this like <laughs> random stuff that's going on you're like what is going on right now I, this is i just wanted to listen to you know afternoon delight or something mm. you know something easy like sunday morning um but yeah like so i tend to i tend to stray towards their more simpler kind of concise songs you know big riffs and kind of more poppy formats which might be actually quite useful if you're not familiar and need somewhere to go because uh yeah but they i don't know there's just the in listening again mm. i'd forgotten i'm like listening with new ears and because it's been a while i the things that always strike me about them are how good the drumming is mm-hmm. on everything Oh, like yeah. they they work with some of the best drummers ever, yeah. like Thomas Pridgen, uh, Dave Elitch, John Theodore, yeah, uh, who's in Queens. Um, yeah, some of the best drummers ever. But also their his voice, Cedric's voice, is probably the. I think I don't know if he still pulls it off, but hopefully, because uh, it's one of the nicest sounding voices of that I can think of. It's so you sure. so unique uh but so pleasant to in tone. Uh that yeah, I'm just a huge fan of it. Love it. I feel like funny enough, I thought you were gonna say probably the most divisive element. I feel like I've heard many people marmite uh Cedric's really? uh, voice. Yeah, yeah. Obviously not personally, but I feel like again a generally higher voices are usually kind of a little more like I think that. that's the thing I was just about to say, because like, uh, you know, whether you're Tom York or Justin Hawkins, I think people always have something to say about a high voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always thought that, to use those two examples, obviously Justin Hawkins is on the jokey end of music. It, well, there's sure. a little tongue-in-cheek a thing, which people can kind of, uh, they if you like your music a bit more serious, mm-hmm. you know, that's not for you maybe. And then Tom York is tonally, I'd say, I'm not sure what the right word is, but it's, it's, I think that's definitely more Marmite. Sure. Um, even Chris Martin from Coldplay, it's like, he goes high. Yeah. But, but there's more range, I think with Chris. It's Martin. maybe a bit more. Same with Tom York. The road. There's a yeah. little more, a lot, a lot more kind of, they're definitely not always, in falsetto, there's definitely a lot more chest voice, and a, and, and I think Tom York can sing fairly low. Um, I think Fair. actually maybe about, lower than I can. Yeah, I guess like Matt Bellamy as well. Mm. But yeah, I think well, high voices seem to be about in in men in big in big acts. Well, it just cuts. Um, yeah, it does. You know, but it's the classic. It's the classic rock thing as well. You know, mm. giving it giving it some. But yeah, I've never found his voice abrasive at all, which is. Okay. But then again, I've said this before, I typically don't, uh, voices don't bother me, you sure. know. Some contest me, but I, they don't like, there isn't like a thing that puts me off. It's normally my last list. So I, yeah, I listed this as a mega positive because I mm. think it's a beautiful sound. Um, but then also, Omar's guitar playing. I actually, I probably struggle with that more than the vocals actually. Because okay. uh, it's, it's like Jimmy Page is I always yeah. think of it as he's like Jimmy Page in his lead work, but mm. more extreme. Uh, and like, it's quite scrappy, especially live, mm-hmm. but then on record is not. Uh, well, depending yeah. on when you hear it, John Frusciante is playing that rhythm. Is he really? Yeah. So the, the idea being is that Omar, and again, the, the name even Mars Volta comes from a more of a film directorial um, the idea of a Volta being like a kind of shift in in scene, um, mm. that his whole kind of ethos was that he wanted to be more of a musical director as opposed to a player and a participant. So he would often get people in to play his parts, i.e. John Frusciante, 
to play those rhythm parts so that he didn't need to be a part of the recording process. Wow. He could just be objective as a producer. Um, and kind of, you know, even to the point of with some of the records of the musicians just recording to a click and nothing else. And the idea being that he didn't want them to infuse their kind of um, sort of a, maybe like kind of musical conjecture mm -hmm. onto the recording. He just wanted them to focus on each part as a standalone part. So whether it's the drums or, you know, bass, whatever, he didn't want them to ramp up for the chorus or he didn't want them to consider what's going to happen next. He wanted them to play out of context and just focus on giving their best to the part. And then Omar wow. constructed those parts um, afterwards. So it's a, again, very much the ultimate kind of benevolent dictator in that sense. Um, but I mean, the results kind of speak for themselves. You know, I, I, I've seen some frustration voiced from, a couple of the people who used to be um, in the band, but at the end of the day, you know, that those were the results and that's what that produced, you know. Um, mm -hmm. uh, again, the idea of prolificness, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Omar and John Frusciante are very much kind of two peas of the same pod in that, you know, Omar's solo works deserve their own episode on their own of seemingly infinite number now. Um more than I've even been able to keep up with. Um, and again, you know, some of them echo a lot of the records. Um, I've forgotten the name of it now, if I see it here, but there's quite a lot that he re released um, alongside uh, basically the other records. And there's actually kind of actually a lot you can, you could pull from them. Um, mm -hmm. Very, very similar to the, the records um, themselves and lots of collaborations. I've definitely advise if you're into the Mars Volta in any sense is to dive into them. There is, I don't want to say hundreds, but there's a lot. There is, okay. uh, and again, all of them very much of their own style, very much in their own place, but kind of within that as well, then, you know, um, he would really, you know, put the Mars Volta through the, through the ringer to kind of get what he wanted. Um, so um, yeah, definitely. I I want to say it's called Xenophanes. Again, is that a... basically a Mars Volta record that isn't <laughs> right, right, right. Um, it, it basically, it, um, I think it has. Um, uh, uh, he had a, a sort of band with his partner at the time, um, and they toured that a lot. And and again, basically, again, basically a fully fledged Mars Volta record, uh, essentially. Um, nice. So yeah, definitely. As in, they're not, you know, don't treat them as, some of them are little weird little things. Uh, but then he's done many records with John Frusciante and many other kind of artists and collaborators and singers. Um, so yeah, definitely worth kind of checking out if you do are looking for more of that ilk and certainly of that time period as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a load of side names that come to mind, like Bosnian Rainbows yeah. and uh, uh, Anti-Mask more recently, yeah. um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, but yeah. Where where are you sitting in terms of your favourites? Like what's what's good, Andrew? What's bloody good? Well, I think with the Mars Volta, I think that is somewhat of a subjective question. Um, like we've said, very much a musician's band. Um, and kind of as the records go on, they kind of seem to flex different muscles and have different needs there's definitely like a, a very wide range of kind of within their own style that they they cover um again uh i think that very first well not the very first record um, which was a little ep the tremulant ep but the second record delouse in the comatorium i would say is probably the fan favorite um and again probably <laughs> probably the most requested and most nagged for, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, and I think even on their current tour, it seems like they're paying quite a lot of uh, fan service in, in, in playing these songs. Um, you know, I would say if you're a, I mean, you don't have to be a musician, but I think particularly if you're a musician and you're looking for something that is, you know, of a quality and, you know, is is 
they very much scratched a very special itch, mm-hmm. I think, for musicians of a technicality and there's guitar solos and the parts are complicated and there, but then there's also like a lot of passion and a lot of moments like, you know, I've always said, you know, when the Mars Volta treat you to that one bit 40 minutes in after a free jazz, you know, marathon of, four, you know, 40 minutes in and then they just hit that bit and Cedric singing right up in the top of the house. There's nothing better. There is nothing better than when, you know, when the gods are good to you and, and they give you that sweet section and, you know, they're kind of masters at, you know, building and working those sections and there's lots of improvisation and definitely a lot of jazz influence. But then, yeah, kind of not a metal, I wouldn't say, but maybe rock and prog, mm. but certainly of the heavier kind, maybe. Definitely big sections that that yeah. bring that energy. But again, I think for the most part, I think groove is a huge part of that as well. And I think obviously that harks back to some of their influences. So it's very much, you know, I think certainly those first sort of four records, very groove infused. Um, uh, uh, and certainly even then within within the kind of sort of maybe bigger, heavier moments or whatever, again, the, the idea being that they finally hit that groove. And even with the drums that we've spoken about before, again, having someone of the caliber of like Thomas Pridgen, where, you know, by and large, that album is almost unplayable by anyone else. Um, <laughs> uh, some of the parts are, are on another level. Um, and again, the same thing f- applies really to Thomas Pridgen. Is that I think he was even criticised for making the Mars Volta really kind of um, sort of slip up and lose their beat and lose their time. Uh, a few certainly in a few of the earlier live performances. And but when again, well, for when, the, well just for kind of going for it and yeah, just I mean, he, you know, he's just he's the man's got the chops, yeah. you know, and, and he's a monster. It's it's the Mars Volta is is kind of this sort of nuclear missile that you're just kind of riding and and anything is kind of game and obviously I think they very much fed upon his energy but I think at the same time there's definitely I think pretty sure there's some good videos of of everyone losing their beat because <laughs> Thomas plays well over the bar you know and and is, is happy to mm-hmm. to have you know he's a gospel chops affiliate so uh, mm-hmm. uh you know he uh he has no enemies um so I think if I was going to recommend a place to start and keeping in mind what I'm familiar of the fans, I think if you start Delaus in the Comatorium, Sonnet Lumiere into Roulette Dares, mm-hmm. sorry, not Sonnet Lumiere into, into Teatic ESP, or in a Teatic, sorry. One of the greatest intros of all time, if not, just iconic is maybe the word. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, but it is one of the greatest intros of all time. It's what a way to open an album, especially your like debut album. Yeah, Uh, and I think we've spoken about this way back, but album openers, there's a way to do it, and especially when it's a debut. I mean, you know, think of things like Welcome to the Jungle. Sure. You know, or that's it, really. That's all you need. <laughs> or, um, you know, Californication. Sure. Uh, just these big albums that have, as soon as the, f- if you know it, it's the first, you know, point one of a second comes in. You're like, yeah. I know exactly what that is. Yeah. It's so familiar. Um, this is one of those. But it's, it's one of those that I I quite enjoy it when uh, an album has like a, a minute or two little pre-intro if you mm-hmm. like and then they let track two kind of hit you mm-hmm. um that's always cool um and it's, it's just is... it it feeds into the image the best part of the mars volta is that you just didn't know what was going to happen next and the hype man of coming on stage and hearing that intro you're just like oh fuck like it's yeah. gonna go it's off. happening and I, th- I personally, I think they have some of the best. I mean, um, Sig- uh, Sigmund, uh, let me start getting these names freaking right. Cygnus Visman Cygnus 
again, the kind of acoustic intro on, on Francis the Mute. Classic troll, really quiet master. <laughs> Turn it up and then boom, hits you again with easy one of the hardest guitar parts to play. Easy probably one of the hardest songs to play. But again, what an absolute journey. But again, what an it like second I hear that intro, you know exactly what's you're settling in for you know, you know there's a long journey ahead. Uh but I think that's something that they have incredibly good at all the album intros are kind of really on the money like they have a real signature and they really kind of tell you you know like a blurb for the rest of the album it's really kind of like okay this is where we're going to go um Mm -hmm. but um but yeah i think delouse in the comatorium is probably like the most pocket-sized distilled version of maybe the sound if that makes sense and i think that's why so many people go back to it I think if you're if you're hungry for more and you're of the disposition that you just want to you just want to eat up all the delicious takes they have, then certainly Francis the Mute straight away after that. Amputecture is like a it's like an opera almost of a of a record. Again, still Tetragrammaton, Day of the Baphomets. In, insane musicianship. Um, mm. I, I still cannot really even grasp fully their construct construction. I can appreciate them and I can hear it. I can, I've learned a couple of them and I'm still I'm like, I would never have made that the way it is. I just think it's own universe, almost those songs. And, and I still, as far as kind of musical achievements, I think they're like right up the top. And then in a weird way, the Bedlam in Goliath, even though Thomas Pridgen is firmly on board and kind of really cutting up the rug, I think they kind of <laughs> make a somewhat of a return to yeah. Deloused and that it's more song-based. I think it's, again, another super strong album. There's so many, And also later in the record, actually, there's some, like, um, Asclepios and uh, Ouroboros and Agadez. Ouroboros, like, yeah, I've wrote that what down. A gr- like, again, they kind of really... What's great is, is that they create these huge long passages and there's this kind of real challenging moments of musicality and then these incredible choruses incredible melodies incredible moments and grooves that are just there to kind of save your soul just as it's about to kind of fall off the edge and that's kind of what they're so good at doing is is really kind of even some of the most challenging songs that you know, Omar makes it kind of almost a, a, a point of making his guitar as harsh as possible and mm-hmm. feedback and delay and modulation and the same with the vocals that they have. It's a, it's not a, it's not a relaxing listen. It's a, it's an intense no. assault. Um, but littered in between these can just be this incredible little bit of ice cream, surprise ice cream <laughs> within the song that, that makes the entire song. It takes all of that dissonance and takes all of that suspense and pays off on it. And, and that's, that's kind of really the, the sort of genius of it, in, in my opinion, is, is this kind of resolution. Yeah, yeah may, and maybe that's what keeps me listening because I can find like bands like Dillinger Escape Plan come to mind when sure. you like, if, if it sounds like razor blades in your ears, mm. then that gets a bit annoying after a while. Um, but there's enough there, I think, in the Mars Volta that just keeps you interested. Yeah. And I don't often put them on, I have to say. But um, that what that Ouroboros song you just mm-hmm. mentioned, I, I don't think it, I, I think it says a lot about me and maybe them. But I don't think I've ever made it to that song in that album before. Oh, okay, and uh, put it on earlier, and I was like. That is the most insane groove that I've mm-hmm. never expected the Mars Vault to come out with that. Um, and another thought, Andrew, yes. another thought is that I've the, the most streamed and the most like fan favourite is, um, what's his face? The first record. Well, I've just forgotten what it's is called. Is it Televators? No, D-Lass in the, co- in the co- Comitorium. Yeah, yeah. Is it the song Televators? No, no, but that oh, album. Or right? The Widow. So I... I I was kind of thinking, like, normally it takes a band a couple of records to get into that groove, to create that masterpiece that everyone likes and that is the favourite, and or and for the like the budget for production and the songwriting and everything, mm-hmm. and to be like, 
fully formed going for it. And then I remembered that at the drive-in does the thing, the early album thing. Yeah. So it's like taken care of elsewhere. They came in um, as pros. They, you know, they already, it's yes. the same relationship just without the shackles, you know, like that's, that's, so yeah, again, obviously Rick Rubin um, recorded in the same house as um, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic in the uh, mansion. Oh, really? Um, the Haunted Mansion. Um, uh, so yeah, Rick Rubin producing this one. So, you know, and again, obviously like they'd come in, they'd already got the songs, they had the demos, they'd already been playing them and making a big name for themselves. Like, oh, Cedric and Omar, you've got this new project and it's mental, you know, kind of thing. Um, Richard, you've got to see these guys. They're, it's crazy. <laughs> Afros, you know, like all that crap. Um, uh, yeah, very much kind of in- industry secret, whatever, you know. But they kind of came up and got this really kind of cool cult status and then so obviously it was kind of fairly easy for them to roll in with a label and Rick Rubin and and... And, you know, admittedly, I suppose, you know, produce a record of that ilk, you know, it's it's pr- like looking at, the, you know, to put them in the playlist, basically every song is great. You know, like mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're re- again, could be a, another perfect record in that sense, in that, you know, even as the songs go on, it just gets better. Like one of my favourites, Take the Veil, Serpent Taxed and, and, uh, uh, in fact, even there's even like a kind of experimental song. Is it Ambulates? Maybe it's not on this one. Oh no, that's the last track. Okay, maybe I had a maybe I've got a deluxe version or something. But even the there's an experimental track. I swear it's on this record. Um, yeah, everything is great. Ariataka, Cicatrice, uh, ESP, this apparatus must be unearthed. Televators, like they're all bangers. And so maybe that's kind of why it's got what it has. Um, sure. I feel like the other yeah. records are more journeys than 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 back to back songs, and that's I think that's the big difference from that first record. Sure, and I must say you're doing a great job of saying all the titles out loud because I don't think I've ever said any of these out loud. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. I know I'm what sure they I look like, them, don't worry. but I, but I cannot, I can't just say them off the off the sure. bat. Um, but yeah, some some from me, Andrew. Some from me. Go on. Are, yeah, the first two off D-Last, obviously. The Widow off Francis the Mute is just a firm favourite forever because mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Uh, and then Goliath from Bedlam and Goliath, and I mentioned Ouroboros. And then I think my favourite Mars Volta song of all time is Cotopaxi off Octahedron. Oh, really? Yeah, I love it. It's such a, Car a chorus. Chase. <laughs> It's such a while. Da, da, is it that? Da, 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 15 or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like such a car chase. Don't you th- I always yeah. feel like that song has got such a 70s car chase kind of vibe to it. If yeah, I love it. Mm. I love it. And then, but then it really falls in for a chorus mm-hmm. with a massive hook. And uh, it's just groovy. It's just that I think that's, that's what it's all about. That's what Gets your do. head nodding. Yeah. And again, it's that I think that's, that's what they've really done well is, is, is to, to bring that kind of, you know, cultural sense of groove and infuse it into kind of prog and, and the music that they play. Because again, the end of it is that, you know, those are the the best parts of any of the songs is, you know, Day of the Baphomets or Tetragrammaton. It could be so confusing, but when that groove comes in, like it's just right in the pocket. And like, like I say, when they're flying, no one can touch them. Mm-hmm. No, when they are really all guns blazing, nobody uh, can can touch them. And, and no one has since, even in the kind of when they were away, no one really came along to really scratch that itch of... I don't, I don't think you could. I've met, I definitely think that uh, in my mind, I've noticed quite a lot of bands over the last few years, and not necessarily young ones, but there's some very popular sounds in rock, uh, a certain segment of rock anyway. Um, one of them is... The Queens and Stone Age sound. Mm-hmm. So quite a lot of people sounding a little bit Queensy, uh, and it's quite it's quite hard to get if you're going to sound like someone a bit. Then it's hard not to do it too much. I have sure. to say, sure, because then you just sound a bit like it's too obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and there's a lot of bands who sound like the Mars Volta. It's a 
if you do slightly, you really do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't half do it. Mm-hmm. It's a very hard thing to be like a little bit inspired. Well, inspired by them. Well, inspired or influenced, mm-hmm. I don't know. But like in terms of a sound, I think, yeah, you can't really. Yeah, I don't know. It's just funny when you see it because it's like obvious. Um, yeah, it's very distinctive. And and I think, mm-hmm. again, it is some to some degree that cultural melting pot that I think really does make that colour stand out as well. I feel like that those kinds of, that kind of groove sensibility. And and again, like, funnily enough, the I think one thing with them, I was explaining to my wife the other day that, like, they really did have a look as well. And, like, I... I still live and die by this idea that when the Mars Volta were wearing black three-piece suits, perfectly tailored, little bit of bell-bottom at the, at the thing, perfect little kind of Chelsea boot, they came on stage looking immaculate, orange, 4 by 12 quad stack, something like three or four different heads, when they're at their kind of biggest, about seven or eight pit of them, I think. And they came on stage um, to, um, oh dear. Uh, it's from a Western and I've forgotten the name. Something to do with money. Very famous. Uh, 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 very, very it? famous score from... I think Metallica come on stage to it now. Oh, it's... um, I know exactly exactly what you mean. From the... I think when I say How the West was won, it's not that. No, 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 um, no. Oh, my Lord. That's Led Zeppelin. Um, Okay, let's find this. Penderecki? No. Oh, it's going to drive me insane. people on audio... I'm sorry for this, but oh, it's, it's essential. You can just hear me orgasm. It's the, it's from it's like that fools, really famous Western. Fools for money, money, no good no, fools, on. good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, it is. The good, the bad, Ennio Morricone, en- good, the bad, the ugly, Ennio Morricone. Yeah, we and go. the song is called. Here we Ennio. go, here we 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 go. Is it the good? It's just called the good, the bad, ugly. No, it's not. Ecstasy of gold. No, ecstasy of gold. That's the money reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Got you, got you. Uh, Now we got that dealt with. Um, (laughs) When they would come on, and you're just like, I don't know. Like I remember seeing them in the London Roundhouse, and um, uh, I convinced uh, Daryl, a very good friend who was in Arkham Roots. It's like, oh, you need to see this band. And Thomas Pridgen had just started playing with them. And literally they just came on stage and Tom, he just hit, he just, all he did was just hit the kit and go, just sort of test it out almost seemingly. And it just punched through the air like a, like a fist into everyone's guts. And everyone was just like, this is going to be fucking incredible. Like you knew you were in the presence of God. Like it, it, it's like being in the Vatican. Like, mm. oh, this is going to be amazing. Like that, even just hearing the sound of the kit, you just did not know. And that danger is, I just, I think about it all the time. I, I, I will never make music again until it has that. It should always be that dangerous. It was so exciting and they looked fucking incredible. I'm swearing and it doesn't matter. They looked so good tailored three-piece suits when they had kind of full afros, the two of them. Custom, uh, the custom uh, Ibanez he used to have. Uh, they had saxophonist, uh, flute player. They had Juan on bass. Uh, they had, um, I think Omar's brother is playing like synths as well. Um, obviously they had Ike Owens, uh, uh, like get an incredible uh, uh, organ player. Like just, there's nothing like it. And I just think you should just, that fire and that danger, I think you it was, the whole point is you were just at their mercy and it made them feel like gods. And I think like, interestingly enough, like the kind of lore that they have around each record, 
and kind of also seemingly their backgrounds and kind of their, you know, kind of sort of fairly tumultuous touring lifestyles and battles with heroin and all this kind of stuff really built up a lore. And then obviously the first record is uh, to do with um, their friend uh, committing suicide. And then Francis the Mute um, was about um, Jeremy Ward, another uh, collaborator who passed away, finding a diary in, he used to do um, repossessions and he he found a diary in uh, a car they were repossessing and um, he ended up reading the diary and this person seemingly like had the same life as him. Like he was an orphan and adopted and da 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 da. And like he just became obsessed with this diary and he was like, this is like someone who is exact, like lived this, exactly the same life as me, but obviously never met this person. And so then mm-hmm. upon Jeremy Ward's passing, they, they made um, a lot of, the, there's a lot of concept record behind uh, the Mars Volta's, um, albums and then funny enough Bedlam and Goliath was about um Omar picking up a Ouija board in uh, Jerusalem and then having like uh all these terrible experiences and people dying and everything like that but all of this stuff kind of like blurs this line of what you think of them and I always think Mm -hmm. of I think it's Ricky Gervais talking about David Bowie at one stage but he's like you just thought he was an alien and like from another world and and I really think that can sometimes be lost and also a bit of a necessity when it comes to, you know, maybe even a, an answer to why aren't artists at the same level as, 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 you know, legacy artists, because we just have so much access to people now. And so there, there, there's that mystery is, is really kind of gone. Whereas, you know, the older artists, you know, again, Guns N' Roses and whatever, like just have a mis- mystery and a lore and a... And well, especially, kind of... especially the ones that haven't taken to social media to share what they had for breakfast. Well, sure, uh, yeah. You know, if they've retained that, you know, like someone like Axel Rose definitely maintains that, you know, mm. very private and just no one knows Mm-mm. in like just one interview every 10 years. I just, I love that. I love that. Mm. It's, I think it's probably harder and harder to pull off successfully. Yeah. Um but also another thing which kind of gives me that is their artwork. Yeah, um, Storm Ferguson. Yeah, and the, just the colours used are very telling of their kind of cultural background and, you know, where they're from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very warm, very warm and cactuses rather than like, you know, the Iceland's cool blues or whatever. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's such a richness and, and depth of... Which I guess showing their culture, you know. Well, this um, but, this uh, uh, picture that's always sat in here behind me that mm-hmm. had the glass smashed in an earthquake. But um, this is an original Sonny K, who's the guy who does their artwork since um, Storm uh, Ferguson um, that I got uh, years ago. Uh, again, he uh, does all the artwork for Omar's. Um, I'll show you for a few video listeners. Go for it. Whoa, that's cool. Like, the level... I'm glad that there's no glass because you can't actually see the level of the print. Like, it is insane that how it's layered up and how, like, you can just see... Like, it's almost almost like you can see the layers on top of each other. Like, you can see, like, these... Mm-hmm. Where is it? Like, all through here, like, you can see the layer underneath it. And like every like, it's kind of almost three dimensional in the way that it's. Um, is it painted? No, it's printed. As in the original, though. This uh, no, no. This is the original print, uh, an original print. So it's literally. Uh, uh, oh, so it's done on a computer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh right. Um, so it's like a composite, I'm assuming. But yeah, like the the level, even like here, like all the levels of the print kind of just seem to like completely overlap. But like the the. The separation between each of them is is like unreal. I've never seen anything. I'm assuming it's a very expensive printing process because like the level sure. of separation and color is insane. Like seeing it in person, like and certainly like these bits here up the top here. For those who are audio listeners, it's kind of like a kind of like a montage of composite of layers of like animals and this kind of strange sort of. I'm not sure if it's 
dare I say, kind of North like, Korean looking <laughs> gentleman, maybe. Or with maybe a periscope, a double uh, periscope. Like, uh, and then, yeah, all these kinds of, and then there's like, this guy up here just chilling. Um, it's to- totally multicolored, though, like a big mashup of stuff. Oh, yeah, absolute kind of an acid nightmare. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like uh, literally never been, never seen another print like it. I'm assuming it's a really expensive thing. I don't know how, I, it was a gift, so I don't know how much check, it was. But- check out the eBay, check out the eBay listing below. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bid now. Um, but yeah, like uh, uh, just again, uh, very much a part of what they do, you know, is this kind of very psychedelic. Um, uh, and I think uh, they, I think he designed all their backdrops as well, Sonny K. Um, oh, nice. Um, and I think he's kind of gone on to do a few more, but their earlier records was Storm Ferguson, who obviously did um, Dark Side of the Moon and Biffy's stuff as well. Um, uh, and uh, Bit Led Zeppelin as well, did Presents. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't presents. know that. The one with the, the, one with the uh, family sitting around a table in front of a yacht, that one. I don't know it. A later album. Oh, okay. Yeah. After they stopped numbers. But yeah, loads of stuff. Anyway, go. well, we'll put uh, all our all our suggested listens in the playlist, which will be in the link in the description box below. Please do. And so check that out. And if we if we've missed any, uh, you can add your own for a limited time, if you're quick. Um, so yeah, that's the Mars Volta. If you'd like us to if you'd like us to talk about some other artists, let us know who. Please. And thanks to our Patreons thanks to our affiliates and we'll see you next time goodbye everyone bye bye